following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church slash contact. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 today. Genesis chapter 3, we're almost to the end of our series, Beginnings where we are studying through the creation account, first three chapters of Genesis, looking at how everything that's here got here, how God created it all, um, how we kind of messed it up along the way, and God's plan to kind of restore it all back to the way it once was. And so uh, I hope you've been challenged or learned some things throughout the series. I um, hope you've picked up some things. I didn't get to really enjoy the scripture reading today, but it sounded so beautiful to me from the back. So I'm very pumped about that. It was very exciting for me to hear our daughter sharing some scripture this morning. but So uh, just by way of review, I've been trying to do this every week. If you were here for the beginning of this series the last few weeks, in week one I shared with you kind of four or three kind of critical ideas. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, these are important ideas for you to latch onto um, and not let the world steal them away from you when it comes to the creation account. The first one was that God created everything out of nothing. It wasn't that God took everything that already existed and ordered it or put it all together or, or constructed it in a, in a beautiful way. No, it's like he literally made it all out of nothing. And so uh, that's an important thing. The world would like to steal that away from you and say that's impossible. And, but we have a God who does the impossible. And so um, he created everything out of nothing. And then the second idea I shared with you guys was that God created everything in the beginning. It's another idea the world's trying to steal away from us. Um, and, and convince us that, that there was a bunch of stuff around before God said in the beginning. And so we want to just take God's word for what it is. And if it says it, we want to believe it. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so there wasn't anything before God created that stuff. He spoke it all into existence out of nothing. And that was the third thing that God creates with his words. That he doesn't uh, use a bunch of tools or, or hire a construction crew to build his universe. He speaks with his words. And that's important because you need to know how powerful God's words are. And if he says something, it's going to happen. And so when he makes you any kind of promise, you can bank on it because you can look to the very creation and be like, man, even the stars and the animals and the mountains and the trees obey his very voice. And so uh, we want to latch onto these ideas as followers of Christ and not let the world convince us that God just put a bunch of stuff together that already existed or that, or that God did some creative stuff, but man, there's a bunch of creativity and, and, and uh, creation before he did that. And, and to latch onto the idea that if God says something, it's a guarantee. It's a promise. And so you can bank on the power of God's word. And so if you were here in week two, I kinda, we kind of piggybacked off of that and added the last half of the sixth day of creation and we said that God created something extra special. And we looked at the creation of humanity and how we are different from the rest of creation. And that God loves you and, and has special, specific designs and purposes for you that go beyond um, what he intended when he made a rock or when he made outer space or when he made the sun. Or, and so uh, we wanted to kind of examine like the kind of the human condition and how much God loves us and cares for us. And then last week and week three, we looked at this special place that God made for his creation, for his human creation, the Garden of Eden. It was a, a different than the rest of creation. He kind of put together a special 
beautiful home for them, right? And we looked at a beautiful home he put together. We looked at a good purpose that he intended for them to have. Um, and we looked at like a, a warning he issued that we said was true. We didn't dig into that too much last week because that's really what we're going to dig down into this week is that warning that God issued to his creation, to his um, prize creation, his masterpiece, humanity. He gave them a warning and it was true. And so you look at that, what we looked at last week, and you think, man, God did make a beautiful home and God gave them a good purpose and God spoke a command or an instruction that was true. And I shared with you um, each week of this series, I'm going to keep doing it today and next week as we wrap up, but three kind of important ingredients that um, we all kind of need to be on the same page or you might get confused as we teach through this stuff. But I'll put them on the screen for you again. The first one was our worldview. And I said, I've said every week that your worldview colors or impacts the way you look at anything in the world. So whether it's uh, um, something that happens at the job or something that goes on at your house or it's something somebody tells you about creation or it's some piece of evidence you look at in a court case or in the very creative work uh, in the universe, your worldview is going to impact how you interpret or how you view or how you put together that evidence. And I'm no different. My worldview is that there's a God and that everything he has said in his word can be trusted. And you're like, well, how do you know this is his word? I know this is his word because Jesus, the God, told me this was his words. And the reason I believe him is because he rose from the dead. So once he rose from the dead, he earned the right to be believed about anything he said to me. And so I consider everything Jesus says to be trustworthy, true, and good, and beautiful. And that is my worldview. And so, well, other people have different worldviews, and it causes them to attack everything that is beautiful and good and true about Jesus. I don't come to the table with that presupposition. I come to the table with a worldview that says I completely trust anything Jesus has said because I believe wholeheartedly he's risen from the dead, and that proves he's God. And then the third one, or the middle one on that, that list there, is just the, the glory of God. I said to you that each week I want to try my best to have us read some verses and talk about some subject matter, maybe show you some pictures or some examples or give you a little bit of evidence along the way to, to display the glory of God because that's really his goal in creation. He didn't create us because he was lonely or needed a friend. He created us to show off his power, to show his glory, to show what he could do. And so he, he puts his glory on display for us, and, and it's available for you to see all over and in this series, but only if you have eyes to see it. Only if you make the choice to have the worldview that says there is a creator and I will see his creation as something amazing, something glorious, something beautiful and good from him. But the choice is always yours. But we're trying to put it on display in each week of this series um, so you can see it if you have eyes to see it. And I hope you do. I hope, I hope this has challenged you to reconsider the evidence or maybe look at some things in a different light. Um, ask yourself some hard-hitting questions. There might be some people in the room that have thought, I've never even heard a series in a church on creation. I asked our life group on Wednesday night, had anybody ever been in a church service or a church series where they taught through the creation account? And it was about half and half maybe. There's a few there that had and a few that hadn't. But um, and, and then there were some people that said, like, well, we talked about when I was a little kid, like in Sunday school classes and stuff like that. But, but rarely, I can't remember one time that I've been in a church where we've gone through a series on the creation account. And so um, this is actually a first for me since I've been a little kid, you know, and uh, in Sunday school classes and stuff. But so that's a good thing. I, wanna, I hope it will stop and make you think. 
Stop and make you think like, are my views actually what God teaches in the Bible if you're a Christian? And if you're not a Christian and you're here, I hope it will make you stop and think like, is it possible that I brought the wrong worldview to the table? That there is so much evidence, there is so much, I don't know, just, just beauty and glory to look at and so much intelligence to what I see around me that it just almost mandates that I reevaluate my worldview and kind of conclude there must have been somebody behind all this. It couldn't have just been random. So I hope that whether you're a Christian or not a Christian here, that you will have taken away a little bit of like stop and make you think in this series and just kind of evaluate some of this evidence for a creator and evidence for God's beautiful, good, and true plan that we're kind of digging into. And so we left off last week in the Garden of Eden, right? And, and everything was perfect, if you remember. Everything was perfect. And one of the things it said was that they didn't have any shame, uh, they, they were completely enjoying their life, right? It was a life filled with meaning and fulfillment and purpose. And, and, and it was like, it was all good. Everything was very good and, and they felt no shame. And, and then the very next passage, what we're going to look at today in Genesis chapter 3, you enter onto the scene, the devil. And uh, the devil's a tricky character in a lot of ways. And one of those ways I've, I've kind of discovered in my life is that like when you say the devil to all kinds of people, there's lots of different things that flash through people's minds. And so I want to kind of make sure we're on the same page. So I grabbed a few screenshots this week of some things you could think if we said the devil. So here's my first one. You can put it on the screen. And so some people, when they say the devil, they see something like this, this little kind of reddish character. I don't know why he's red. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why he's got horns. But he's always got horns and a pitchfork and usually a pointy tail, right? And so sometimes he's like this cute little baby if you're watching like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something like that, right? And so you might kind of, this when I say the devil, this might be kind of like what you see in your mind's eye, right? And then I had this one. Some people might think the devil and they might see like a, their favorite hockey team, the New Jersey Devils, right? You guys are too far away from New Jersey to have like any awareness of that. But the New Jersey hockey team is the New Jersey Devils. Sorry. Maddox looked at me like I said something wrong there. Sorry, Maddox. That is what it is. So some people in New York City or in, in northern New Jersey, they might look at, think in the devil, when you say the devil in their head, they might be thinking about hockey, right? And there's other people that might think about the devil and see the Tasmanian devil, right? I mean, I, I watched a lot of Tasmanian devil when I was growing up. You didn't, did you? You didn't, right? So, okay. So Tasmanian devil. And then there's other people that might see this guy, the the I'm up to no good emoji devil, right? I don't, he's not red anymore. He's purple now. I'm not sure how that happened. He had kind of a color change, but kind of they might think that when they think the devil. And uh, then there's other people, they think the devil. They might think like a grown-up version of that first guy they saw. And somehow when he grows up, he always has a goatee, which is why I think probably, you know, all the guys with facial hair in the room probably not as trustworthy as the other guys. Just saying. So, but he's always got a goatee. And he, look how happy he looks, though. Like, all of those characters are cool characters. And then, and then the only part, like, Opie, where is Opie? Is he? Oh, there he's in the back, in the back of all the bad kids. See? Okay. And so then Opie, when I say the devil to Opie, somebody that's like, like something that's like devilish, he might think like this, you know, like that could be devilish to Opie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think somebody that's up to no good and causing mischief. You might think something like that, right? He kind of looks devilish, and he's wearing red, coincidentally. You know, I don't know how that worked out, but... And so uh, you can see a whole lot of different things in your head when you think the devil. Uh, but really, none of those pictures we put on the screen are the devil. The Bible doesn't describe the devil like any of those things we looked at. He's not, 
giggling and smiling. He's not cute and cuddly. He's not friendly and out to just kind of cause a little bit of mischief. No, he wants to like rip your heart out. He wants to destroy you. There's nothing cute about him. And we've kind of cuted him up a little bit. But he's really an enemy. But he's not ugly. The Bible describes him as beautiful, the most beautiful angel that God ever created. And so there's this view in some people's head that he's cute and cuddly, and there's this view in other people's head that he's kind of hideous and ugly, but really he's like good-looking, intelligent, creative, musically gifted. All these things the Bible uses to describe him, crafty and cunning and smart and intelligent, and, and he's out to destroy you. He wants to devour you and wreck your life. That's the devil we're looking at. He enters this story in Genesis chapter 3 into this creation account. He enters on the scene and, and uh, instantly he's going to like disrupt everything. He's going to cause chaos. And that's what he wants to do to your life this week. And so I want to read to you the whole story. I don't always do this, but I, I want to read to you the whole account we're going to look at today. The first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 3. And then I want to go back through them and I want to talk to you today um, about this passage. But let me read it to you first so you can get the whole, um, the whole perspective or view of what's going on in this account. Okay, So Genesis chapter 3, let me start in verse 1, just read it all to you. The serpent, now that's the devil. He's going to show up in this particular instance as a serpent. And you kind of learn all throughout the Bible that demons, the devil, angels, they have this ability to show up in, in lots of different appearances. They can, they can kind of take the form of animals. They can take the form of, uh, of, of people. They can even possess people at times. They can, they can look beautiful. They can look ugly. They can show up as like an invisible whisper. They can show up as a somebody or something right in front of you. And so in this case, um, the devil shows up as a serpent. And so in verse 1 it says, The serpent was the shrewdest or the most cunning of all the wild animals. And the Lord that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say, if you're an underliner, that's a good phrase to underline. Did God really say, You must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that, there were, that the tree was beautiful, beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. With the, when the cool evening breeze, breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. The Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? 
The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I know that was a lot for some of you, but I just wanted you to hear the whole account first. This is the first time in God's creation that humanity sins. It's going to change everything. It's going to change everything up into including right now for us. It's what keeps us from knowing what it was really like in Eden. It's what keeps us from understanding what things were really like at the beginning. It's what taints everything around us and everything in us. And so sin enters the scene. So it's just so we're on the same page. I know there's a lot of different definitions you might hear for sin, but let's just use a definition of mine today so we can kind of all be on the same page what we're talking about when we say sin. Sin is just disobedience to God. Some people would call it falling short or missing the mark. Some people would say it is, it is, is defiance against God's commands. But just to keep it simple for all of us, let's just say today it's disobeying anything God said. It's disobedience to God, sin. And this is the first time that God's created humans disobey him. He had promised them consequences, the consequence of death. And yet somehow they still crossed that line and did what he told them not to do. And, and I kind of called what we're going to talk about today the big lie. And so what I did as I was reading through and studying through this passage today, I, what, what stuck out to me was kind of like four pieces of this lie. And as I looked at him, I thought, wow, we have the exact same four things today. And I want you to see them all in the text. And I want you to have enough courage in your convictions to look at your own life and, and, and kind of answer honestly, am I falling victim to the same things Adam and Eve, these first two humans were falling victim to? Am I buying into the lie just like they were in the exact same four ways? So let me give them to you. We'll give them to you one at a time. We'll read back through the text, look at them together so you can see them in God's Word. They're not just what I say. They're really what's there in God's Word. And the first one I wrote down, I wrote down, was call, I called the untrue narrative. The untrue narrative. Now hang with me for a second. Narrative's like a story or a, or, or a telling or, a, or something you hear or observe. And so this untrue narrative, and it, it shows up in this account in two different ways. Let me read back through it with you. It's the first five verses where you have this conversation going on between the serpent or the devil and the woman or Eve, right? You have this conversation going on in these five verses between them. And there's going to be an untrue narrative that comes to the surface. Let me read it with you. First one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees in the garden? Now that's a lie. It's not what he really said. And she's going to set the record straight a little bit. But I wonder for us how often the devil whispers into our ear that same phrase, did God really say? Did God really say you're not supposed to do what comes naturally to you? Did God really say you have to give up all these things that you love doing? Did God really say you're not allowed to have the same kind of fun that all these other people are having? Did God really say you're supposed to be generous and kind instead of selfish and stingy? Did God really say that? It doesn't, and what he's really saying with that question is this. It doesn't sound 
Like what you're telling me God said is beautiful or good or true. It sounds like what you're telling me God is saying is a lie or ugly or bad for you. It doesn't make sense in my head. Did God really say those things? Because they don't sound right. That's what he's asking her. Did God really say that? Because it doesn't sound good, beautiful, and true. He's attacking the very nature of God's goodness and God's truthfulness and trustworthiness and the beautiful character of God. And he's doing the exact same thing today. And he's trying to convince you that if you think what God says is true or good or beautiful, then you're messed up. And you hate people. And, and you're out to wreck people's lives. And, and, and you don't, you're not on people's sides. You, you're trying to bring them down and rob their joy and steal their happiness and make their life miserable. Why? Because you agree with what God says. Did God really say those things? Because that sounds way out there. Doesn't God just want me to be happy? Doesn't God just want me to do whatever feels right to me? Doesn't God just want me to take care of me and maybe me and my own? How could God possibly want all these things that I hear you talk about in church? How could God possibly be saying all these things that I read in my word? They don't sound right. And you hear that lie, that lie in your ear. There's no way God could have really meant that because that doesn't sound right. And so you hear these lies and they're part of the untrue narrative. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? She sets them straight in verse 2. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, now she's going to tell him what God said. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. You can underline that too, or even touch it. God didn't say that. God just told him not to eat it. But she added something to it. She added, okay, adding, adding another layer of commandment to what God says, adding another rule to what God says, there's a word for that. It's not lying. It's legalism. And sometimes the untrue narrative that you hear in your head isn't just a lie. Sometimes it's legalism. It's when you take stuff that God didn't say and you add layers or rules to it because somehow those rules make you feel a little bit more in control. They make you feel a little bit better than the next guy or the next girl. So if I can add a rule or a layer to this command that I know I can keep, then I can make myself a little godlier, a little holier, a little better than the next guy I work with or the next guy I sit beside in church. I can elevate me. It's legalism. And then I take those rules and I elevate them to the status of righteousness. And if you don't follow this rule, you're not righteous. And those are all over our world. And so sometimes you're hearing the lies from the enemy. And, and those lies don't just come from the enemy. Sometimes those lies come from the world around us. And sometimes they come from our own mind. Tricking us. There's no way God really wants you to live like that. There's no way God's really serious about those rules or those commandments. And we buy the lie. But then other times we buy the legalism. We've added some layer to it. And we think, I have to do this to do this and this and this. And if I do these things, then I'll be right with God. And if somebody else doesn't do those things, then they're messed up and they're disobeying God. And they're more sinful than me. And that's legalism. And so sometimes the untrue narrative you hear in your head could be either thing. 
He keeps lying to her in verse 4. He says, you won't die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God said they would die, but he says, you won't die. No, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, here's the thing about the devil. He kind of told her the truth about some stuff. And the untrue narrative in your head sometimes, whether it's from lies or it's from legalism, whether it's from yourself or the world, whether it's from the devil and he's shouting out loud or he's just whispering in your ear, sometimes, sometimes those things, they're kind of half true. And that's the danger. And that's exactly how the devil attacks. That's how he attacked Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, when the devil comes to Jesus in the wilderness. He gives them half truth and half lie. And so you can get people to kind of like disobey God by thinking like, well, that kind of sounds right. But it's not the whole way right. It's half true. God did say they would die. And here the devil's saying you won't die. That's a lie. But God did say you're not supposed to eat of this tree. And this tree is the tree that gives you knowledge of good and evil. And sure enough, he says, if you eat of this tree, you'll have knowledge of good and evil. And that kind of was true. That's the devil's tactic, give you half the truth, half of a lie. And so there's this untrue narrative. And so maybe that's you. We'll come back to it at the end. But, but maybe there's a, a story in your head. It's got you convinced that whatever God said isn't good. Whatever God tells you isn't beautiful and it isn't true and it's okay for you to do the opposite. And we come up with all these reasons to justify why I can do the opposite of what God says. But it's just an untrue narrative. Here's the second thing I saw in that text, an unhealthy pattern. An unhealthy pattern. So maybe this is you. Let me read it to you. It's in verse 6. The woman was convinced She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now listen, I think there's four kind of really interesting uh, subject verb or, or, or subject verb like phrases in this one verse. Let me just give them to you real quick. It says, she saw, you see it? She saw, she wanted, she took, she gave. She saw, she wanted, she took, she gave. Leave the last one off just for a second because that includes somebody else, okay? But she saw, she wanted, she took. And I wonder how many times we disobey God that we follow that exact same pattern. I saw something, I wanted it, I took it. What's not mentioned in that one verse is that part that comes right in between for a lot of us especially those who are like walking around telling everybody on Facebook they're, they're a Christian. They got like a Bible reference on their profile. They think they're like with the Lord, right? But for a lot of us like that, it's like you see and you want and you take. But in between like I want and I take, there's this other little like phrase where it's like, and I know God doesn't want me to take it. But then I take it anyhow. I see it. I want it. I know God doesn't want me to take it, but I take it anyhow. And that's what she did. She knew the command. She actually repeated it just a couple verses earlier. But she saw something that looked beautiful and delicious to her. And and that was kind of part of the temptation. But if you really look at verse 6, the real temptation was that she wanted wisdom. That almost sounds like a good thing. Like, yeah, I want to be wise like God. 
I, I saw something. I wanted it. I know God said not to, but man, it, it seems like the right thing to do because I, I want what will come if I take that. God must have been wrong on this one. Did God really say? And so I took it. Then she goes on and says she gave. You might want to flop out that word gave for shared. I took my sin and I shared it to some people close to me. Sin has a way of doing that. It's like you see something you want and you, you want it and so you take it and, and then it doesn't ever stay confined to just you. You somehow share that sin with all the people around you. And, and, and sometimes it's just consequences of your sin. Sometimes it's literally you kind of peer pressuring other people to do it your way because your way's better. And so you're actually like giving or sharing your sin with other people and inviting them and pe- pressuring them and convincing them to do all the same things that God has clearly told you not to do. And if they don't see it your way, then you bash them online. Or you stop being their friend, or you stab them in the back, or you talk about them to somebody else. And all they did was stay true to the Lord's commands. But because they didn't see it your way, now, now you're going to let them have it. You see this pattern? And, and, and the trick here was like, she kind of she thought the tree of knowledge of good and evil was going to give her wisdom. But it wasn't the tree of wisdom. Like God told him what it was. In fact, it it wasn't going to like make her more intelligent. It wasn't going to make her smarter. It wasn't going to make her understand life better. It wasn't going to make her a better person. It wasn't the tree to help her improve her life. It wasn't the tree of wisdom. It was the tree. It wasn't even the tree of knowledge. She wasn't going to really gain a bunch of knowledge from it. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The only thing she was going to gain from it was knowing the difference between good and evil. Which because of them, because of that account, now we all know. Are we better off? We were talking a few weeks ago in Life Group about like, when it comes to sin, like, is ignorance bliss? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to really encourage you not to pull your two-year-old or your three-year-old child or grandchild aside and show them a bunch of porn. I want to encourage you not to arm them and turn them loose on the world to go kill whoever makes them angry. I want to encourage you that. Why? Because innocence is bliss for them. Let them be a kid. We would be better off if we didn't know good and evil. If we just did everything God told us to do all the time. If we just obeyed because he was our maker. She was going to pick up something here. It wasn't going to be wisdom. It wasn't going to be just basic knowledge. It was going to be the knowledge of good and evil. The third piece of the big lie I saw in there was an unwanted outcome. And some of you are in that stage right now. You've believed an untrue narrative and, and, and you've developed some unhealthy patterns in your life. And, and right now you're seeing some of the unwanted outcomes of those choices. If you're not, you may be seeing those soon. Just hang in there. But an unwanted outcome. Let me read you this one. This is where you kind of see the What happens here in verse 7? At that moment, at that moment, not a day later, not a week later, not after they had time to think about it, instantly their eyes were open and they suddenly felt wisdom. They suddenly experienced knowledge. They suddenly had all their hopes and dreams met and fulfilled. Everything that they thought they would get 
from eating that fruit and disobeying God's commands, they got it right then, right? No. They got something they didn't want. They didn't even know what it was up until this moment. They got shame. And now every single person in this room, every single person in this world, including them, we walked around and we walk around carrying shame. They didn't want that. That's the part you never see. You never see that. You always see the euphoria of the high. You never see the, like, the gutter of the crash. We never see that. that. That's the problem. The problem is we don't know what we don't know. Adam and Eve didn't know what they didn't know. But guess who did know what they didn't know? God. This is why you have to trust God, because you can't see the things in the future. You can't know how it's all going to play out. I trust his commandments because he knows a lot more than I know. He knows what the result would be. He knows what the outcome would be. He knows I don't really want the outcome I'll get from disobeying him. I just don't know what I don't know. And so I press into what I want when I see it, and I take it, and I don't even know what's going to be the outcome. But God knows, and that's why he gave me the command. Okay, look at verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. And I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. This happens almost instantly. They feel shame. See what they did because they felt shame? They covered themselves. And then it says they felt afraid. They heard God's voice and they felt afraid. See what they did then? Then they, they hid. I wonder how many people in our room right now, they're here and people can see them. It looks like you're uncovered and open, but I wonder how many of us are really hiding, really trying to cover ourselves, really trying to look one way, but deep down we're another way. We're trying to look the part, but deep down we're experiencing an outcome we didn't want. We're experiencing shame and fear. It's causing us to cover up and hide. So what was going on for them. And God asked them three questions to Adam. I don't know if you picked up on them or not, but there's three questions in this little passage I just read that God asked Adam. He says, where are you? Did you hear him say that? Where are you? And then he said, who told you? Who told you you were naked, right? Who told you to be ashamed? Who told you? And then the third question was, have you disobeyed? <laughs> I wonder if God wouldn't ask me like the exact same three questions all the time. Where are you at? I know you're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition. Don't judge me. Where are you at? It's like, where are you at? Why are you hiding? Come out. I want to be close to you. Why do you keep running away from me? 
Who told you you're supposed to live in shame? Who told you you're supposed to run away and hide because you're ashamed? No, come closer to me. Same three questions that God's asking us. Why are you disobeying? Did you break the commandment I gave you? And then Adam's response is exactly what our response is. See what Adam did? He blamed every other single person he knew. He only knew a couple people. He was like, the woman you gave me made me do it. She's like, it's her fault, it's your fault, it's everybody's fault but my fault. So then God turns to the woman, he's like, what happened? What did you do? And and she blames the only other person that hadn't been blamed yet. She was like, well, the devil made me do it. So now everybody's been blamed except the people who actually sinned. And that's kind of what we do now, isn't it? I disobey God. I go my own way. I make my own road. I do whatever makes me feel happy. I go with my gut. I follow my feelings. I got to just follow my heart, right? And then when the fallout comes, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, if you had helped me, well, if you hadn't been paying attention to that, well, if you hadn't been micromanaging what I'm doing, well, if you weren't such a nag, if you weren't always on my case, if your rules weren't so hard to follow, no, the woman you gave me made me do it. No, 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 it wasn't me. It was the devil who made me do it. How about you? I'm just holding up the mirror. Right? That's a mirror, Lily. So that's in mime world. I went to mime school. You wouldn't know that. It's everybody else's fault. Right? Blame everyone but yourself. Sounds just like us today. You know, I, I, we've met with like a lot of married couples over the years, tried to walk them through some marriage counseling, help them like see it God's way, save their marriage, things like that. And, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you're able to help people, and sometimes you're not. But man, I never forget like this one person in my life, and you guys probably don't know him, so it's, I feel like I can say it, but it's one person in my life, and it's like he was talking to me one day and just totally bashing his wife. I mean, just badly, like, she's a jerk, and she's possible to live with, blah, 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 blah. So, and, uh, and I was like, really, you know? And... Um, it was his fifth wife. And I was like, I'm just thinking to myself, and you can't even hardly say this without like ticking somebody off. But I was like thinking to myself, like, I wonder if there's ever a moment where you're like, maybe I'm the jerk. You know what I mean? Like when you're on the fifth, you know what I mean? It's like, like maybe part of it's me. You know what I mean? It's like, it's time to kind of like flip that thing around. Like, look, oh, wait, there's this part of me that maybe is like a problem too. It's like, we're so easily and, and so like, so cunningly by the devil tricked into blaming everybody else for the mistakes we make. But I wonder how often it's really us to blame. All right, here's the fourth piece of the big lie. And this one almost might sound like a good thing. And so I want to give me a second, just kind of explain to you why it could be part of the big lie you're buying into. But I called it the, an undeserved hope, an undeserved hope. So look how he wraps up this passage. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because they all blamed him, so it's like now God's going to talk to the devil a little bit. So then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. All right, this complicated, deep We don't really have time to get into it today. I hope you'll come back next week. This is what we're diving into next week. Next week is called the fallout. 
And there's a lot of fallout, but I just wanted to kind of touch on this today. Because what God does here in this one verse, and he's going to expand on it in the rest of the chapter for us. And we'll look at it next week. But what he does in this one verse, verse 15 in chapter 3, is he drops a hint that it's not over yet. That there's going to be some fallout, and, and the devil is going to win some of the battles. But, but he's not going to win at all. There's going to be some times where the devil is going to bruise or strike or, or hurt your heel. But in the end, there's going to be one coming from this woman who's going to crush his head. That, that it looks like he's making progress and he's getting you to buy into the lie. And he's winning some of the battles. But one day, there will be a guy. And for Adam and Eve, it was a guy in the future. And for us, it's a guy in the past. That one day there would be a guy that would come from her line and he would crush you. And you might win some of the battles, but Jesus will win the war. And so if you didn't hear anything else today, I hope you'll hear that. You might feel like you've bought the lie your whole life. Like all you can hear in your head is an untrue narrative. That this is just the way you are. That you have to do these things. That you have to disobey God. That you have to live this way or your life will be miserable and no fun and no peace. Maybe you've bought the lie that, that this pattern is just who I am. I'm just an angry guy or I just have this hang up or you don't understand. It's just I can't stop thinking about women or I just have to have that fix or I just, it's just the way I am. Just never been very responsible or the pattern. You see it. I want it, I take it. And maybe you've believed that lie, it's just the way it has to be. Maybe right now you're in the middle of the outcome, the unwanted outcomes of all your sinful choices. Somebody's left you. Somebody's holding it over your head. People around town are talking about you. Everybody's got an opinion on why you're screwed up. Everything you thought you wanted in life is nowhere to be found. It doesn't seem to be anywhere on the horizon. I know what that feels like. I've been in that. I'm not in that moment right now. Praise God, I hope I stay there. I like this moment much better. But I know that moment where you thought everything you wanted in life was never gonna happen. So maybe that's you right now, and that's a lie too. Because if you're not dead, God's not done with you. And so there's more of the story of your life to write. And so if that's you and you're consumed with shame and fear, you look at your life and it's all about covering things up and hiding from the world. It doesn't have to be like that. You can press into the Jesus way. You can read his word. You can hang with his people. You can serve him with all you got. You don't have to sit on a shelf somewhere feeling bad about what you've done. And then the undeserved hope. And I thought, that's kind of a good thing, right? But then I thought, maybe there's some people, and I've been like this too. I've been like this in the past month where you know there's some hope. Like you know God says Jesus is gonna win the war, but deep down inside you're thinking like, I just don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be on the winning team. I'm so messed up. You don't, and maybe that's the part of the lie that's got you trapped. Maybe it's the part of the lie that has you convinced you don't deserve it and there's no way God would ever give it to you. I mean, he might be winning the war for some people, but not you. If, if everybody knew how messed up you were, God wouldn't be winning the war for you through Jesus. 
But all of these things kind of added up to be this big lie that we all tend to believe. And a lot of people will look at this account of Adam and Eve and the, and the snake in, in the garden and all that, and the question that will get asked a lot of times, like, you know, by ungodly people who are just trying to pick a fight, will be like, uh, will be like well, whose fault was it, the man or the woman? You know, that's what they want to know. You're like, like, whose fault was it? I can't quite tell. Was it Adam's fault? Was it Eve's fault? Was it the serpent's fault? And the answer is yes. They messed up. They sinned. But we do too. In fact, if you could have swapped yourself out with any of those characters, you'd have done the same thing. You're not better than them. I'm not better than them. We're all sinful and messed up. This week, I don't know, some of you guys know Raven, who's a member of our church. Like, she's gone working like kids camp or teen camps or something for the summer, serving Jesus, which is cool. And um, so this week they're doing like this training. It's intense where they're like hammering them with the gospel. How do you share the gospel with other people? And she called us one night and uh, was like, hey, I just need to talk. And we're like, go for it, go for it. And she said, the first thing she said, and we both looked at each other and just kind of like chuckled a little bit. But she goes, I'm such a baby. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, I love Jesus. And I know he's forgiven me. And I know that like, He's given me a lot and I've grown a lot and all that, but I'm surrounded by all these other people and all this stuff they're teaching. I don't know any of it. Like I'm such a baby. And I said, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. And I was thinking this week, I was like, if you ever get to the place where you think I've got it all figured out, I'm a grown up. I know it all. There's nothing for me to be taught. There's no more mistakes for me to make you probably believe in the big lie. But we're all really babies. We all desperately need God to keep teaching us and keep forgiving us and keep loving us and keep showering us with grace. I never graduate from needing God in my life. And this past month or two, I've shared with some of the guys in our church who I talk with about stuff like this, but this past month or two, I, I had this like situation in my life where like my past just kept getting thrown in my face and I would just keep thinking about it and, and it just kept coming up. It was like, it, it was like, I don't know, it was like world talk for like, you suck, you know, and I kept hearing it, I kept hearing it in here. And so I'd be like walking our dog or just stepping outside in the morning or just waking up or getting a shower and random times this thought would just hit me of that'll always be you. You know, what you were will always be you. And I was thinking about Raven calling us and saying that. I was thinking about all this stuff I was believing. And I, I wanted her to know that, like, you're in the exact right spot. You're supposed to feel like a baby. And we're supposed to feel dependent on God and that we don't know a whole lot and that we want him to teach us more. And, and, uh, and I'm supposed to remind myself that what I was isn't who I am. But it's hard to hear through the lies sometimes, you know, because you hear the untrue narrative and, and, and you hear the, uh, this is the way you've always been and this is your pattern and this is, you're in these punishments and this outcome and it's always going to be this way and you don't even deserve to be loved. And it just keeps getting thrown in your face. And I felt like that this week or this month, past month. And I just said to Raven, sometimes you can get so discouraged about where you're at that you forget how far you've come. 
And I think that's so true for her, you know, thinking about her story. And I was thinking about my story this week, and it's, it's so true for me. It's like, I can remember, when I stop and think about it, I can remember how bad it was, you know? And uh, when I remember that, like, I kind of realize, and like, that's all a lie right now. It's not that bad now. It's good. Like, I'm not that guy. And um, I was thinking, like, Raven's really come a long way. But she couldn't see that in the moment. She was so distracted by the lie that she was unqualified, that, that, that she wasn't enough, that she was just a baby, that she couldn't see, like, no, look how far God's brought me. And I needed that for myself this month, you know, that I just needed to keep saying to myself, God has brought you so far, but I'm still a baby, you know, and that's okay. I just want God to keep loving me and fathering me and teaching me and giving me grace. And I want the same thing for you. And I remember a few years ago at our church, we, I don't even remember what the passage was in the Bible. We were basically preaching about sin. And, um, and um, I got to the end of the sermon. This person came up to me. They don't, they don't go to our church anymore. I wish they did, but they came up to me after the church service and they said, you spent the whole sermon talking about sin. I was like, I know, that was what we were on this week. And I said, it wasn't about you. I was like, we planned it like six months ago. I wasn't thinking about you, you know. And, uh, and they said, no, no, no. They were like, it's crazy because you spent the whole time talking about sin. But at the end, I felt like, I felt like all I could hear was hope. And that's what I want for you today. This, this account is ugly. It wrecked everything. We're going to learn about it next week. But, but at the end of it, at the end of all your sin and all your mess-ups is hope. That's what I want you to hear. I don't want you to go out of here feeling condemned or judged. I want you to go out of here feeling free and hopeful. That's what Jesus does. He's going to win the war. He's already won it. We're just kind of like biding time until he wraps the whole thing up. But he's won the war. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cover yourself up. You don't have to believe the lies that you hear in your head every week. You can just live free. I hope if that's you, I hope if you feel trapped by any part of this big lie, just come see me afterwards. I'd love to talk through it more with you. I know just what it feels like to be that person. I know just what it feels like to feel hopeless, to feel stuck, to feel trapped in a pattern, to feel like you're suffering these outcomes that you can't get out of. I know just what it feels like. I'd love to walk you through God's word and be like, no, there's hope and freedom for you. You don't have to live like that anymore. You can say goodbye to the big lie. You can live in victory because Jesus has won the war. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, I know we were talking about sin today. But right now, Lord, would you just rain down on everybody's heart grace and hope? Would you just fill them with your love? And let them know that they're not defeated, that there's a way out of all of it, that they don't have to be stuck in the pattern they've been in. They don't have to believe what everybody else is saying about them. They don't have to be ashamed or afraid. They don't have to cover up or hide. They can just trust you and be free. Would you just rain that down in our room right now, God? And if there's anybody here that's suffering in that big lie right now, that, God, you would give them the courage to just walk up to me or somebody else that they know who loves you and just say, can I just talk through this a little bit because this is me we're talking about. 
Would you give us that courage, God, to be that bold, to, to, to walk up to you and not run and hide? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC Podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.